1: Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow. With me is my co-host, Susan Fox. Hello. And our our guest today is Wendy Van Camp. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Jean. So it's uh, we met you at uh, um, Westercon. Yeah, we met you at Westercon. Just uh, what was it about two two weeks ago?
0: Yeah, only about two weeks ago. It seems like a lot longer, but time flies.
1: Five weeks ago.
0: Yeah, time time flies like an arrow. (laughs) Fruit (laughs) flies like a banana.
1: Ex- just so.
0: <laughs> oh, I I'm in between conventions. I'm leaving for uh, WorldCon in about a week, so yeah, I've been too. in a flurry of preparations. Mm-hmm.
1: And and but we are Western as well. WorldCon was great. Yeah, we, we really enjoyed it. Uh, uh, we mm-hmm. were uh, uh, we. One of the things that we uh, go down there for is uh, Eben Brooks, mm. the uh, you know the the songwriter and 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 fan favorite he's got this song cycle called uh, what is it scatter my ashes mm-hmm. and it's it's a cthulhu song cycle and it's it's pretty wonderful stuff so um you were there um in part at least because you are a writer of science fiction and fantasy
2: and uh, regency and and, and Regency. Regency. Book. Mm-hmm. So what is the deal? Why is it that mm-hmm. sci-fi people get into Regency? Uh, I've seen this for years, and I still don't understand it.
0: Well, I think it has something to do just with... Um Oh, I don't know. Maybe the class systems and the uh, Sherlock Holmes popularity and the popularity of Jane Austen in general. That it kind of sucks the Regency uh, meme into science fiction. And it's really quite at home there. That, you know, with my, my book, my first book is a Regency romance, a novella. And uh, whenever I say Jane Austen at a science mm-hmm. fiction convention, the women just nod and go, oh, yeah, I love her. And next thing I know, I've sold a book. So it works very well at science fiction conventions.
1: And the one you have for sale on Amazon right now, the one that's published is called The Curate's Brother, a Jane Austen variation of Persuasion. And uh, I'm interested in the subtitle there.
0: Well, there's a reason I chose that subtitle. Uh, as you know, uh, Amazon works with a computerized search engine. Uh, what you need to do is have keywords in your title, and then you put keywords in when you put your descriptions in when you want to sell your book. And if it, the keyword is in your title and in the description, um, Amazon rates you higher. Uh so I decided since it is I want to target Jane Austen fans and fans of her book Persuasion I wanted to make sure those key terms were in the title of my book. That makes so sense. all of all of the books in the series and they'll be four altogether they're all in rough the other 3 are in rough draft stage and I'm currently revising them. Uh, mm-hmm. But each one will have that same uh, Jane Austen variation of Persuasion in the title. And then the first part, it's just the first one mm-hmm. is the Curate's brother. They will each have that. That'll be their separate title.
2: Are you going to do variations of other Jane Austen
0: books? Probably not. Um, Persuasion was my favorite of all her novels. And I've read all her work, of course. And I, while I do enjoy um, Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility and Emma... Um, for some reason, the characters didn't speak to me as strongly as the ones in Persuasion. Uh, Persuasion was the first book of hers that I read, and it was the first romance I've ever read. Mm-hmm. I, I really am, in general, not a romance um, reader um but for so i decided i wanted to start reading more of the classics and everybody had told me oh you need to put jane austen in there and i came upon her book persuasion rather late in life i think i was in my early 40s when i read it for the first time and it just blew my mind away i just absolutely fell in love with anne elliot and and Frederick Wentworth Mm -hmm. and I started reading all the fan fiction out there. I think I've read every single persuasion fan fiction there is and that just wasn't good enough. I had to write about her too. And meanwhile, I was already working on my, my science fiction steampunk stuff But I sort of made time, just on an aside, to do the Regency just just for myself. I just thought it was fun and that I would consider it a fan fiction. But I finished the first uh, novella and everyone loved it. And I went, you know what? I'm just going to pop it on Amazon. I need something to kind of get started with the process as an author anyway. And I felt that it was a really good book just to kind of open the pathways. There's many things as an author that you cannot do with your with your first book. You can't set up pre-orders. You can't have an account uh, – and. A uh, author page on Amazon, you can't have an author page on Goodreads, not until you publish your first book. Now that I have a book out there, I'm ready to go for my steampunk series, which I really consider one of my, more indicative of who I am as a writer. And so when I'm ready to get started with that, which hopefully won't be in too much longer time, I'll be good to go. I'm and fast- that's a
2: derivative work also from the look of it, the, mm-hmm. is the steampunk wonderland.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's kind of loosely based off of char- char- uh, characters from Alice in Wonderland, and again, I kind of I was inspired by them, but. As time went on, and mind you, I've been working on the series for almost five years now. It is totally become my own work. I mean, I could probably take the Alice in Wonderland elements out, and it would still work perfectly well as a steampunk novel. But I, I just like Alice in Wonderland, and I'm comfortable with the the mm-hmm. kind of Wonderland elements in there. And it's kind of like poking a little fun here and there. So I, I just leave them in. But it's it's kind of a uh, it's kind of London in another universe. Universe, so to speak, and I envision my uh, my steampunk land is kind of a pocket universe. It's not really a part of our history at all it has its its own history and things mm-hmm. and i have characters from our world that go into wonderland and and uh and a few sideways places too but we won't go into that yet i don't want to spoil the story
1: this is sort of the same kind of thing that terry pratchett did with his uh, discworld books uh, it was everything in discworld was an echo of something in the real world and uh and he played mm-hmm. with that idea quite extensively and I, I, I found uh, you know I found myself right at home with the with the concept when I read the excerpt, and, you know the the opening uh, volley of, of verbiage from your uh, from your first steampunk Wonderland book. Mm.
2: Uh, but it's not a, the golden afternoon of Alice. It's this oh no. is a harsh world. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Alice uh, gets into a lot of trouble. She's an engineering student from our world who has a hobby of being a uh, a tournament sword um uh sword wielder. Uh, uh I I guess she does like a oh gosh. SCA larp. Yeah, well kind of like that, but uh, she's basically a, a swordswoman who uh, but she doesn't do battle. She's just she uh fences in tourneys. And I I base it off a lot of myself when I was young. Uh, I started out as an engineering student in college before I moved on into radio television. And I did take a semester of fencing in school because back then I was, I mean, I've been writing since I was really young. And because I had an interest in writing fantasy, I wanted to actually hold the sword in my hand and go through the movements and learn about how it felt. To a fight, uh, naturally, I am not much of a fencer, but at least I, I took that semester and I uh, I learned a lot from it, That's and funny. I'm, I'm so working I. a lot of that into my steampunk Wonderland novel now.
2: I fenced fenced a little in college too, until they said, "Oh no, we're not going to have a women's team." I said, "Well, then, what's the point?" And found other things to do with my time, like oh, I don't know, study.
0: <laughs> well, I admit, um, I don't think there was a women's fencing uh, tournament at that time, because this was well over 20 years ago, maybe even further back. Oh, my goodness. But uh, these days, from what I understand, uh, sword fighting is actually very popular with men and women. And there are places for women to uh, go into tourneys. I mean, it, it amazes me uh, how far we've come just in 20 years. I mean, really, equality has been settling all over the place. You, women Women are not told you can't do that because you're a woman anymore. You're encouraged mm-hmm. to follow whatever pursuits you want, which is wonderful.
1: I'm really surprised that there is such a thing as Jane Austen fanfic. I mean, it, it logically, you know, it of mm-hmm. course it exists, uh, but it just never occurred to me personally.
0: <laughs> no, it is very, very popular. Thousands right. cool. and thousands of them exist just for free out on the Internet and on Amazon, Amazon. Uh, I think a lot of the better fanfics actually get republished on Amazon for purchase. And Mm -hmm. I encourage anybody to make the purchase. Support your local author. Sure. But uh, there's there's hundreds of them out there on Amazon alone. You you can go wild in the genre. And they're very popular. Women just love them.
2: Well, it's... I guess it makes sense because then you can do fanfic of someone who won't sue you.
0: <laughs> yeah, Jane Austen's books were out over two hundred years ago. They are copyright free. Yay. So you're not in, you're not infringing on anything to use them. Same thing with Alice in Wonderland. Uh, Lewis Carroll wrote it around two hundred years ago, maybe maybe more like maybe one eighty years, something like that. But even so, it's out of copyright law and it's free to use if you wish.
2: Now I have to think about you know, what about the more recent, well, relatively more recent things like Sherlock Holmes or more relatively recent things. And with uh, tough, tough manly estates are have been uh, things like Peter Pan and the Barry estate has, has aggressively uh, defended their copyright. And I don't know what's in or out at this point. <laughs>
0: Well, you have to be careful if you're going to write fan fiction. Um, A lot of times they're they're just kids in their basement and... Who, who's going to sue them? They got no money. So it, it'd be like uh, squeezing a stone for blood. So, no, but kids but, get um, the, the cease But even and so, um, a lot of uh, places will defend their copyright. Uh, the Edgar Rice Burroughs estate is a very good example. The John Carter of Mars was written over 100 years ago. It should have been copyright-free. However, they've renewed the copyright, and they still hold it, and they're still out there making movies and doing all kinds of things with their uh, grandfather's work. So... You you can't touch that without permission from the estate. However, they're actually pretty generous. And if people want to write Barsoomian fan fiction, as long as you ask first, usually they'll say yes. So I'm very it supp- just, it, I'm, it, anything goes, really. I, I thought it was trademark that they had a strong hold on it, that the copyright had lapsed. I think that they have renewed the copyright. Now, I could be wrong. I do mm-hmm. chat with them occasionally. I've met... Um, john burroughs who's the grandson of Edgar rice burroughs mm-hmm. and i think he has said it they have renewed the copyright so they have owned it whenever there's a an estate that has some sort of artwork they have an option to renew the copyright it does cost money but uh, if they choose to do what they can and it'll extend the copyright further so just because something is old doesn't necessarily mean that it's free free for use so you, you got to be careful and do your research uh, in the case of Jane Austen, um, her stuff is free for use at this point. You know, you just got to check. Well, Disney was
2: in the act with the Edgar Rice Burroughs properties. John Carter, although they didn't market that movie worth a darn, they still oh, no. you know, have, have their claws into it. And Tarzan as well.
0: Yes, they do. I think they've always treated Tarzan much better than uh, John Carter. I, yeah, you know, I love the Disney movie. I mean, I thought it was. Uh, I thought Andrew Stanton did an excellent job with uh, modernizing the story because let's face it, uh, A Princess of Mars was written in the early uh, 1900s, and you know times have changed a little bit. I thought he gave Deja Thoris a much more um, stronger role, made her more independent.
2: Oh, I loved um, her. I loved her. She better than I loved Dejah Thoris from of old. I mm-hmm. uh, you know this this strong and resourceful and smart and and absolutely battle worthy. Uh, frankly, she was on my my uh, you know mind casting list for for Wonder Woman. Lynn Collins. Oh
0: yes, I love think? Lynn Collins. Yeah. She did a wonderful and boy, can she use a sword? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I I don't know what happened with the sequel. There are rumors that maybe the sequel will be uh, made after all. Um, if they do, I hope they bring back Lynn Collins and uh, and the whole cast. Really, I mean, they had such a wonderful wonderful cast. But the visuals means, were stunning. From, uh, I mean they had uh was it uh, Siran Hines who also appeared in Persuasion mm-hmm. but he uh, played the the uh he was uh Tartus Moors who mm-hmm. was the the emperor of Helium um they had uh James P- Purejoy. Um, who was uh, like the Admiral or Cantus Can? Who in the stories becomes uh, John Carter's best friend on Mars? And I really loved what they did with the Tharks. I mean, the CGI work on that is just incredible. They look so real and so natural; it's just amazing.
2: Now, that's something that Edgar Rice Burroughs would have recognized. <laughs>
0: yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Very but much. I, so. And I went to that the marketing campaign was just horrendous. The, they did not know what they were doing. Uh, they should have called it John Carter of Mars. If they had done that, most of the world would have recognized what the property was without having to be told. But, you know, who listens to us, right?
1: Well, as I understand it, the reason they took the word Mars out is because uh, the Disney executives did the uh, demographics on the word Mars in movie titles and discovered that every movie uh that had mars in the title tanked so Correct. they tu- so they took it out in their infinite wisdom
2: that's ridiculous oh.
1: yeah well yeah but the reason you that's know superstition it is mm-hmm. it's it's uh, it's got nothing to do with the the quality of the films it's and and everything to do with uh um you know, just
0: well, and it wasn't just that; pocus. it was also that many people thought that the John Carter movie was very derivative of very famous works of today, like Star Wars or the <sighs> Avatar film. literally the other movie, way around, it's actually, the opposite. They are derivatives of the original work of Princess of Mars. Of course, but, of course. You know, God help <laughs> us if they do, ever make the lens. They should have done a much better job in explaining huh. that.
1: Yeah, if they ever do the lensman they'll say, Oh my god, it's just like the Green Lantern. Can't they be original? You know? <laughs>
0: and then we'll have to line them up and they'll, slap they'll them. They'll compare them, they'll go, Oh, they're like Jedi and again it's the exact mm-hmm. opposite. The, the Jedi were basically a derivative off the lensmen. But you know, what can you do? What can
1: yeah, you Yeah, well do? the Green Lanterns and the Jedi both, really.
2: Mm-hmm. Any band of interstellar band of brothers of different with, uh, species, right?
1: With 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 great uh, great power, uh, with great, great power responsibility. and responsibility, you know, mm-hmm. is going to be is going to be compared to them, especially with, if they have unusual powers.
2: With great power comes great power bills. Yes,
0: yeah. indeed.
1: So, how long have you been? Uh, how long have you been a science fiction fan?
0: Um, I have been reading science fiction since grade school. Um, I fell into it originally reading The Juveniles from Heinlein, and it kind of got me hooked. And from there, I moved on to, I think, Annie McCaffrey, Andre Morton, mm-hmm. um, you know, the usual cast of characters. And I think my very one of my first books I actually read was A Princess of Mars. Uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs was kind of my introduction. I remember there were a lot of uh, paperbacks that had gone through reprinting in the 1960s when I was just first uh, going into libraries. And mm-hmm. so I really just latched on to all that. And I've probably read just about anything in the genre that's out there. Um, and I've continued to read up to maybe a couple of years ago. Uh, when I entered college, I, uh, I let's just say I had to read school books more than I uh, could read for <laughs> pleasure. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then my career got started, so uh, I kind of fell off the reading wagon for a while. But uh, about five, six years ago, I just out of the blue, uh, my uh, steampunk story just burst into my head and it wouldn't let me go. These characters were just jabbering in my brain and I had to write again. And I hadn't been writing stories in years. It, it just kind of flabbergasted me that I felt the urge to do this again. And that was about five years ago and I'm still going strong and I'm seriously considering going full time as a writer. So I'm just sort of working my way up to that right now.
1: So you have—that's
2: an act of courage.
1: It is. Yeah, it takes a great leap of faith to do that. But it's important that uh, it's important that we try, because if, if we don't take that leap, we'll never know. We'll never know what would have happened.
0: Well, I think in my case, I have the background of being a working artist for the last 20 years, and I built my uh, artisan business up from scratch until it became relatively successful, Um, but I'm tired of making jewelry. And mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm i ready to segue into a new medium, and I think my new medium is going to be uh, the written word. I really honestly believe that if you just keep chugging, you keep doing your marketing, getting the word out with your name, um, that the mm-hmm. readers will find you and hopefully like your work. And so far, I mean, what I have out there is doing pretty well uh, for what it is. Uh, poetry seems to be publishing regularly, and I do get good comments on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have the blog, No Wasted Ink, and I'm getting more and more readers of that uh, with each passing year.
1: Your and, blog is No Wasted Ink. I did not know that.
0: Oh, yeah, that's my blog. Oh, my goodness. You've been reading it, not I've you?
1: been reading it, and I didn't realize it was you. Ah,
2: yes, that's ah. me.
1: <laughs> that's awesome. Okay. Yes. It's it's. it's Wow, everything sort of stitches together now.
2: Oh, okay. it all makes sense. There's really only 40 people in the world. Did you do know that this
1: is revolting.
0: <laughs> yeah, so, uh, no way. I'm a in doofus. Ink. I've been doing that for about four years. Uh-huh. I interview um, uh, independent authors, well, and traditional authors, but as long mm-hmm. as they. Um, publish science fiction or fantasy. I write book reviews on classic science fiction and fantasy novels, and those uh, reviews are being reprinted in several magazines now. I, I have Luna, Stasia Quarterly is publishing one of my reviews each month. I have a science fiction and fantasy newsletter that publishes that, and they like to pick up some of my articles, too, for reprint, and Susudo so, Universe. Um, most of my uh, book reviews have been reprinted there, and most of my author interviews as well. So, uh, yeah, it, it just keeps keeps going strong. And oh, and my poetry—I I write sci-fi coup poetry. Sci-fi coup. I like the term. I, lo- sci-fi-cu
1: sci-fi-cu I it, like the term. Oh, did you
0: read
2: those they're,
0: they're adorable little gems. Yes, from outer space. <laughs> they <really laughs> are. I love those. You know, it's a funny story about how I got started with that, because I I don't really consider myself to be a poet at all. I mean, I I, I think I wrote a couple of poems when I was in high school, then I put the notebook away and never looked at it again, Mm -hmm. but um, at Condor, one of our local conventions... Uh, there was a Friday afternoon workshop, and I just put my stuff in the art show, and I was kind of sitting there and thinking, boy, is there anything for me to do? And I just happened to look over at a sign, and it said, workshop, how to write Sci-Fi Coup. And I went, what the heck is that? And I figured, what the heck, I'm here, it's indoors, there's a chair and water, I'll go in. <laughs> so I did, and <laughs> it turned out I was the only student. Everybody else there were actually magazine publishers of, Sci-Fi ku Poetry, and the woman who was teaching the course was, I guess, the president of the Science Fiction Fantasy uh, Association. It was a wonderful workshop. I had never realized the methods of how you uh, actually write Uh, Poetry: how you brainstorm the ideas. She gave um, examples of what needs to fit into the formula of the poem. Then she had me write a poem in the workshop. And, of course, I'm the only student, right? Mm -hmm. So she had me read my poem at the end. And one of the magazine editors says, gosh, I really like that. I'd love to publish that in my magazine. And I kind of went, huh. (laughs) And from that point on, I went, you know, I need to be incorporating this into what I do. So, uh, I, I actually did not end up publishing it in her magazine, but another pep- magazine did publish it. And then later on, I decided to write the poems for my blog, No Wasted Ink. I, mm-hmm. I publish one by f- every Friday and I hand illustrate it too. I, I love to sketch and do, uh, Zentaggles. So just, just as a pure hobby thing. And mind you, my Zentaggles are not fantastic, but what the heck. I put them in there. It's my blog. I can do it. And, uh, so I, uh, Handwrite the poem in my little, uh, nice little notebook, and I use my fountain pen inks and have a good time with it. And I just pop up my little poems there, uh, but I usually have them published first on Far Horizons. Mm-hmm. I I like to give them kind of um, first digs on, on the publication, and then they go into my blog. So it, it's worked out great. Uh, people seem to like the poems. I I've been kind of surprised because again, I do not consider myself to be a poet, but what the heck, they're they're kind of fun to write, and I enjoy it.
1: Yep. For our listeners, what is a zentaggle?
0: A zentaggle is a method of doodling. Um, there are people that are called zentaggle masters that will teach you how to do zentaggles. They're, um, like, for instance, when, you are, when you're like a kid and you're sitting in school and you're like just doing little doodles that kind of repetitive patterns in your notebook because you're bored and you don't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. That's, that's basically the basis of a zentaggle and uh the zentagos what they do is they teach you different patterns and they you have little practice squares and you practice the patterns and it trains your hand to make the patterns and then eventually you put them into different frames and that becomes the basis of your artwork and so i've been just doing little science hmm. fiction based uh Zintag- i did like a little uh martian rover once and i do little spaceships and planets and things like that
2: you've been doing this for years haven't you
0: yeah, I've been doing it for years, and I didn't know what it was called. Didn't have a yeah, word. Yeah, yeah. But word set. I, I actually only started doing zentangles maybe two years ago, so I, I mm-hmm. don't consider myself a master at it at all. I, I really don't have time to really perfect it. But it, it's a great hobby. It's very relaxing. You can just do it in a notebook, off in the corner somewhere, and it, it's just a fun thing.
1: Well, neat. Yeah. I, I'm. It's kind of fun, you know, listening to you describe your pathway into becoming a writer and uh, uh i think a lot of people are maybe discouraged by how difficult it is to become a novelist or you know uh, some uh, a writer of uh, larger works the way you are are becoming and uh I have no idea where I'm going with this.
2: I don't know. You start, but she demonstrates <laughs> she demonstrates that you can start with a you know a, something
0: as short as a haiku and eventually work up to a novel.
1: That's well, it. He, there you it's,
0: go. It's funny. I was taking a writing course at the University of Iowa. They they have a free online course where they have the videos and you just listen to their professors talk about. About the craft of writing, and for those that don't know, the University of Iowa is actually world renowned for the writing program. But I was actually flabbergasted that in the very f- one of the very first lessons, uh, the professor was encouraging novelists to write haiku, which is what sci-fi-ku is based off of, because it, it's really a poem about just the moment, capturing a single emotion or capturing a single moment in time and describing it in a way to bring out that emotion. And that's the basic building block of writing. And if you use that building block that you use with the haiku and you just expand it out and expand it out, eventually you have yourself a novel.
1: <laughs> it's an interesting way of looking at it, but I, I suppose that's true. It's true, uh, the the written word can be such a beautiful instrument uh, in in the hands of a good writer, and uh, I'm fascinated by the by the whole sci fi coup uh, phenomenon, which apparently it is, and and it's one that I've just only discovered because of uh, because of you know, the samples that you sent us before the interview.
0: It um, It isn't really as well-known as I feel it could be. If I hadn't stumbled upon that workshop at Condor like two years ago, I probably would have never heard of it either. Uh, but as I've done research on it, I've been finding little pockets of poets that do it. And there is even an award called the Dwarf Star, mm-hmm. which uh, Sci-Fi Coup can... Um, Uh, basically um, submit their work to to win that award for. So it is somewhat supported out there and it's a lot of fun.
1: So um, you have... I think you said you have five or possibly six steampunk wonderland stories?
0: Well, actually, the number varies. I... It originally started as one book, and then it became a trilogy, and now I'm looking at four to five books. And then everyone's telling me, oh, but your your backstory is so interesting, you ought to turn that into a book, too. I'm like, ah, well, <laughs> we'll see how it, it just keeps growing and growing. Yeah, you know, I think most authors have this. You you have a cast of characters that become so close to you that you just want to keep writing about them. And I really think that uh, this particular steampunk series has become that form me. I, I deeply care about all my characters from the villains to the heroes and I, I just love their inner relationships with each other and every now and then I just get this great idea and I think gosh that, that might make a great short story or something like that. So I They'll probably be more than just the initial books. I, I have a couple of short stories or perhaps even novellas that will be companions to it. But as I, I tell everybody um, who urged me to write these things, it, because I go, oh, I'd love that for my magazine. I go, no, I've got to finish the core stories first. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not going to do any of this other stuff until the initial stories are done. And they're they're set in... Well, maybe not set in stone, but at least they're finished. And then I'll go off on that. Because I do have other series that I want to get to. And they're they're in the back wings waiting to be done. And I don't want to just stay in one place for so long that they don't get finished. So I, I got to weigh my time and, uh, mm-hmm. and just keep slugging it out and working.
1: We have been speaking with Wendy Van Camp author of The Curate's Brother. It's a novella on Amazon.com. It's called, "It's uh, The Curate's Brother, a Jane Austen variation of Persuasion, and that's available on Amazon.com. And uh, she has a series of steampunk wonderland stories in development. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of The Event Horizon on Krypton Radio. It's been a pleasure having
0: you with us. Well, thank you for having me, Gene. I really appreciate it.
1: You have just heard episode 111 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for August 15th, 2015. Our guest has been Wendy Van Camp, the driving force between the writer's craft website No Wasted Inc., and the author of The Curates Brother on Amazon.com. Your hosts have been Gene Turnbow and Susan L. Fox. This episode will air again on August 16th, 2015 at 4 p.m. Pacific and at various additional times throughout the coming week. See the Krypton Radio website for showtimes in your area. Once all the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode and others as downloads on KryptonRadio.com and on iTunes and Stitcher as podcasts. If you are an author or other creator and would like to be on the show, please contact our production manager, Kat Carter, at katcarter at kryptonradio.com. If you would like to become a patron of the Geeky Arts, you can do so for as little as $1 a month. Visit patreon.com slash kryptonradio to join the Krypton Radio family of patrons. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by Mark Schurmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry. And the captain was voiced by legendary science fiction writer Larry Niven. This program and its contents, except where provided by others, are copyright 2015 by the Krypton Media Group, Incorporated. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi.